Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Ladies and gentlemen, sad news. Jason will not be joining us today. He is getting snipped. He decided that he did not want to uh, uh, have any more, I guess, children. So ladies, sorry for all the broken hearts out there if you all were thinking about maybe Jason those in that kind of way now that he's the new stallion out there creating, parading around in the grass. But uh, we wish him well, and uh, I went through that back in January, so hopefully he'll just have a great time for the next three days or so. But um, today we have an awesome guest, Sally Norton, joining us, which we'll talk about her and how her seven days have been and get into the topic of what we're going to talk about. But first, I want to turn it to Jeffrey Sue. Sue, how have you been these last seven days? How's those hamstrings coming? And hamstrings are growing, you know, and so is business. I've been extremely busy. Um, you know, like I said, I paused my enrollment until September, so it gives me some breathing room. I'm actually going on a vacation, leaving this Saturday down to Rehoboth Beach in Delaware. So uh, it'll be nice before the fall gets really, really busy, as it traditionally has. Um, last seven days, uh, I guess, like, the most notable would be I finally got my car back, which was awesome since it was in the shop for three months. So I finally have my baby back, and I'm very happy about that. Um, I put an offer in on my first home today and, um, you know, I, I posted pictures of the house on my, in my Instagram and people were like, oh, well, you know, you should move out here where I live in like East bumfuck Massachusetts where like there's <laughs> nothing out there and you could get so much more for the price that you're going to pay or you're offering way too much. And I'm like, listen. The housing market in central Massachusetts is fucking hot right now, despite coronavirus, all right? So most homes are going for at least 40 to 50K above asking price. So get that through your thick skulls, those of you looking at my pictures on Instagram. I'm not going to move out to fucking Springfield or down to the Cape, all right? I'm not doing it. You're going to go to the Cape, you couldn't afford that. If you, if you, <laughs> if you people knew anything about real estate, it's location, location, location. They teach you that in fucking grade school. What don't you get? So I'm buying my house. I don't care what anyone says. Um, but right, buying a house. <laughs> Real passionate know, about this. So today, like, you know, I got my blood work done in the morning. Then I had to do my fasted cardio because, you know, you can't do cardio um, before you get blood work done. It throws things off, right? So then I was, like, doing my client check-ins. Then I had to go to this open house. And then I had to do more check-ins. I finally ate my second meal of the day. And now I'm back here talking to you guys. So that's how things have been, basically. Sounds like it's just been an absolute shit show, but that's whirlwind. But you know, I'm trying to stay on top of it. Absolutely. Well, my last seven days have been good. I've been busy, like you, um, onboarding new clients, stuff like that. The gym is growing at a really good rate. Um, you know, we're almost at pre-COVID numbers now that um, we've kind of been open for over two months. Though, I can say that um, I'm not a fan of the online school for my nine-year-old. Not a fan. Like he's in class from 8.15 to 9, and then he gets a 30-minute break. And then it was 9.30 to 10.15, and they had a break till 2 o'clock. And I'm like, what? And then they want you being there with them the whole time. And I'm like, Man, how am I supposed to, like, earn a living? Like, what parents? So, I don't know. I, I think when I run for mayor, Sue, in 2022 down here in Nashville, <clears throat> then my thing is going to be, like, I'm going to legalize dope. And I'm going to put all that money back in the schools, back in the teachers, first responders. Be like, look, if you don't want weed legalized day one, don't vote me in. And that's going to be like my whole ticket. And then when Mayor Cooper goes to argue with me, I'm going to be like, look, Mayor, I didn't shut everyone, lock them in and shut everyone's businesses and destroy Middle Tennessee. It wasn't me. It was you. So anyway, that's kind of been my thing. Um, I've had a bunch of wins. I've had a few like real shady moments that went on that I had to like – 
talk about counseling last week that I kind of found out about just stuff and to do with my old business partner and some other stuff. And I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to talk this out counseling. So I did that. I've been enjoying it. But uh, guys, before I get to our guests, we real quick reviews on iTunes. We're doing a good job, but we're still not catching up to John Gorman. And that honestly pisses me off. Really pisses me off that John Gorman and them have, and Jason have more views than me and Sue. You could at least write Sue a review saying he's a beautiful damn unicorn and that my beard's amazing. I don't give a shit. Just rate us five stars, write something awesome. Really though, seriousness, we've had some awesome, awesome things written so far. Uh, I share them with the guys. I know they go look. It's been really cool to see how we've impacted some of y'all's careers that you guys talked about. Um, we do have an Amino Asylum giveaway. It's like over $200 in products. So if you guys are into Amino Asylum, um, they have great products. We especially love the L-carnitine. Uh, TEC15 will save you 15%. And then the last thing, we have the Excellence Cartel presents the Physique Education Collective Denver, October 16th and 17th. <clears throat> If you're a coach and you're reading this, tomorrow you'll listen to it. It'll be August 12th. Um, you have three more days at that point to submit a presentation to me along with your resume, jeff at relentlessforever.com. And what we are going to do, me, Sue, and Jason are going to do a Zoom, and we're going to find the best three coaches to come and join us and present with us Denver, October 16th. It'll be that Friday at the world-famous Armburst Gym. We legitimately only have 23 more seats left. So if you guys are on the fence, that was the number that Thera gave me before we went to, to recording. We have 23 seats left, and that's because of the COVID restrictions on space. So we'll be capped out at 50. Um, but otherwise, I want to introduce our guest, Sally Norton. And Sally, how's your last seven days been? Probably not as exciting as Jeffrey Sue's. Oh, can't compete. <laughs> I have my real estate stories, though. My a brand new neighbor who's moving in on Thursday and closing tomorrow next door is here today. I've had two conversations with her today about her moving in process, and we're already bonding and becoming good friends, which is nice. The uh, man who originally owned that house next door just suddenly died in March and probably second effects from shingles vaccine huh. eight days huh. after shingles vaccine so he, so the house is not empty next door and the house next to that just closed yesterday and both these houses just like jeff's saying you know they yeah. sell in four hours yeah. for a great percent you know several thousand more than they're asking for it's yeah. really hot and so that's good no empty houses <laughs> I had a massage yesterday and I highly recommend taking care of yourself, <laughs> especially when you're an author like me and you spend, you know, a 10 hour Sunday working on your book and then you can take a little break on a Monday. That's yeah. the cool thing about working for yourself or being an author or, you know, being in doing your own thing is that you can do life as you need to do. Exactly. And that's really fun. I had, and, oh, okay. A lot of people want to, help other people do healthy stuff, exercise, like in the family, you know, they're the hardest people to influence your family. Yeah. 100%. Three days in a row. My husband has joined me for my little five minute flexor, hip flexor exercises that I do every day. He's actually joining me with his stiff old 63 year old hips. That's <laughs> one cool. Absolutely. You know, you got to look for these breakthroughs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. At least you got a sense of humor for us. That's good. I like it. Um, 
So and, and I had a really good exchange with my editor at Harmony Books, who's going to be publishing my book uh, just yesterday. I sent her some material Monday. She got on it and got back to me. And so I spent the whole night sleeping, thinking about it. And so we're having a good time making years of research and hours of writing is actually going to become a book. I can't wait to read that book, which leads us to our topic. So how I found you and got a hold of you was I was listening to Ben Bukolsky's Muscle Intelligence Podcast. There was an episode about oxalates. And the only thing I've known about oxalates is, you know, they're found in food. And that if there's not a certain amount of calcium attached to it, that they will just go through your urine is what you're told. But after hearing your all's podcast, my mind was blown because that's not really the true story. So um, I wanted to bring you on the podcast and you're awesome to join us. So thank you for joining us. But today, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages who are listening to this, we're going to talk about oxalates and we're going to talk, begin this with what Sally's journey has been with oxalates. But most importantly, Sally, why don't you tell us what oxalates are? Okay. Oxalate is oxalates. You're doing a great job calling them oxalates plural because it's a whole family of compounds that switch partners and do all this thing. The parent compound's called oxalic acid. It's a tiny little molecule. It has two carbons, four oxygens, usually has a hydrogen on it. And usually it's missing hydrogen, has a strong uh, uh, negative charge, and it grabs things with positive charges. And there's forms of oxalates that are called soluble that hold on to things that have a single positive charge. That would be sodium and potassium are the classic ones. Those are the, the two major forms of soluble oxalate in nature, all over nature. It's in food, plants make it, it's in rocks, it's in pollution, it's in oceans. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> and because it has another proton to drop, it can also bond with things that have a double positive charge. And that's things like calcium and magnesium, you name it, iron. And those are much tighter bonds and are harder to break. And we often call them insoluble, especially calcium oxalate. So there's lots of different oxalates. So yay, you know how to say oxalates, plural. And they, you know, do different things depending on their environment. So they're hard to predict, but they are very reactive and interactive with our biology. Humans aren't really equipped to be constantly doused in it, even though nature is kind of saturated in oxalates in some ways. We're not supposed to be. And yes, our kidneys work really hard to pee them out. And it turns out that peeing out a lot of oxalate all the time is a great way to develop chronic kidney disease, which has been one of the fastest growing diseases in the last 25 years. Chronic kidney problems has you know, been the sleeper story that people don't talk about. But we live in a very toxic world and the kidneys have to handle toxins of all stripes, whether it's the pesticide you like to spray in your yard or whatever garbage you bring into your house that's full of chemicals and new furniture. Don't buy too much new furniture, Jeff. <laughs> it's too toxic for your kidneys. Uh, and you know, then we're just willy-nilly eating plants and plants, they hold still. They're planted in the ground. They have to defend themselves, but they, are, they have, okay, so roses have barbs and trees have bark to protect themselves. And guess what the bark is filled with? Oxalate crystals. See, the calcium oxalate, the plants turn them into these big crystals of all kinds of shapes, and they have special ways of making particular shapes of crystals. And in the bark, they're like these bricks. So the bark of major trees produce hundreds of pounds of oxalic acid or calcium oxalate crystals every year part of their bark. And it turns out when you have a fire, the soot 
and smoke that come from fire, a lot of that is oxalate crystals burning off. <laughs> my mind is already blown. I don't know about you, Sue. But what's your journey been with it? Because that's what stood out to me. You talked a little bit about that at the beginning of Ben Kapolsky podcast. What's your journey? How did you get into these hours of research? Like you said before you went, sorry, recording, that, you know, for your fun, you like to go research things for hours on end. <laughs> what led you want to do this? There obviously is a story to that. So what's your story in the journey with it? Oh, yeah. So my... Oxley research career probably got launched officially. It was October, late October of 2013, when I finally saw what I never understood before. It was the biggest, like, holy freaking crap. How could this be true? It was, it was quite the moment because I, I had actually, I have a degree in nutrition. I went to Cornell University, which on the East Coast is considered one of the very finest organizations to get a nutrition degree in. You got Harvard, you got Cornell, you got maybe Michigan, and then you got to go to Berkeley or someplace. Like it's one of the top schools, it's supposed to be a great school. So I got this degree in nutrition because I decided in seventh grade that wouldn't it be cool if I could and I could help others get through life without heart attacks and cancer? Wouldn't that be great if we knew how to do that? Well, my seventh grade teacher showed a film strip and I was like, wow, you mean what vegetables you eat and how you eat it has that much impact? I, that is cool. Like, ooh, you get to decide your future. You could be educated and decide your future in your life. Wouldn't that be a great thing to study? So I've been always interested in health. Actually, kindergarten, I would run home and tell mommy, mommy, we're supposed to have blah, 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 like I, whatever they taught. And I, probably I got interested in health and nutrition for two reasons. One is my grandmother cared about that. And they were all scratch cookers and cared about quality food. My grandfather was a pastry chef. He taught European pastry chefry, you know, like good food was around, skill around food was around. I love food. And I was sick a lot as a kid. I was on this liquid penicillin a lot. And by the time I got to be five, they took my tonsils out, and that was pretty horrible. And perhaps, you know, getting shut out of the swimming pool several summers from swimmers there and things motivated me like, hey, I, being sick sucks. Like anything you can do to not be sick, that would be good. So that's probably why I've been kind of a nutrition geek my whole life. So fast forward to I'm 49 years old when in 2013 going, all my health the foods, my healthy vegetables caused me to have a life of suffering, caused me to be in wheelchairs. When I toured Boston with my family on a vacation when I was in college, it was from a wheelchair because my feet were so screwed up. I spent most of my 20s on painkillers using crutches or wheelchairs for like the mall or the vacation or the state fair or something because I didn't have working feet and got married in sneakers. <laughs> And it just got worse from there. Through my 20s, I was so arthritic all the time. I was in chronic pain. I started having back pain as a 12-year-old. And um, what I finally figured out in 2013 is that a lot of those problems, what I really saw was the arthritis piece, which was always a mystery. Why would my fingers swell up and I didn't have the strength to open a door? What was going on with me in my 20s? That was always a mystery to me. I just thought I had some weird bad luck. And it turned out it was my healthy diet. Mm. I had learned about oxalate, obviously, in school, because we learned that oxalates binds minerals and calcium, and they're, so they're bad for your bioavailability of, of minerals. And so you got to know that. And, and they're really bad for kidney stones, because that calcium oxalate forms in the body 
in, in some people, they don't produce enough of these proteins to prevent these little oxalate crystals that form from clumping. A stone is a, a clump of many small crystals and it creates a plug and that's when it hurts is when the plug blocks up the urine and the urine starts backing up, which is why stones are so associated with infections in the urinary tract. And it used to be before antibiotics that the reason kidney stones were deadly is because you'd end up dying of an infection of either the bladder or the urethra or the kidneys. Um, so we've, at least we have antibiotics, but that stone stoning process is basically all anybody seems to know about. And they're worried about, okay, well, oxalate doesn't cause it because not everybody gets the kidney stones. Well, they don't, not everyone gets the kidney stones because a lot of us are really good at producing these proteins that prevent the clumping. So kidney stones is just about whether you can prevent clumping or not. It has nothing to do with whether the oxalates are ruining your health or not. And that's a, another kind of mistake um, in medicine in terms of overlooking the problems with oxalate. So I don't know. I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> no, it's fine. I actually want to ask you a follow-up question. So you brought up an interesting point about oxalates and arthritis. So are oxalates responsible for inflammation? Let me like add a little piece. Would that could, could this possibly explain, because as we've seen, we have a growing vegan, growing vegetarian movement in our country, um, primarily because of a um, Netflix documentary, you know, which advocated that way of dieting. Um, could that be a link between the oxalates and the increase in fibromyalgia? Yes, and this is a good time to talk about that. So there's a couple of things you brought up. One is inflammation. There's a group of young researchers working under some excellent kidney researchers who've made a whole career of studying oxalate and have done the best work on dietary oxalate and why it is, is the cause of kidney stones. And, and they're looking at some other things now. They're finally looking past the kidney and looking at human monocytes, which are the undifferentiated immune cells that are in your bloodstream. 40 minutes after you drink a spinach smoothie, your immune cells are damaged. And to the point, the mitochondria damage the point that when they have to arrive on site in a place they're needed, they have trouble turning into the proper type of immune cell. So their functionality for their job as immune cells gets injured by just one spinach smoothie. And the joint thing in the fibromyalgia pain is so interesting because those of us who don't get kidney stones, I can pee out crystals like crazy and I have not had a kidney stone. I don't think I ever will get one. I make enough of these proteins and one of those is osteopotin, which is great at preventing clumping in the urine, but it also has negative effects in the body, including doing all this stuff that we call fibromyalgia. So we see with those of us who get in trouble with oxalate, the men are much more prone to kidney stones. They're probably not making as much of this osteopotent as women are. Women have more reactive immune systems. Women are more sensitive in the immune department. So they get different patterns of effects from the oxalate. And we're much more prone to these pain syndromes, this arthritis and this fibromyalgia, this connective tissue stiffness, this achiness. And that's related to um, all kinds of metabolic defenses that the body's having. So the body's defending itself from kidney stones, which is critical to your survival and having too much of this osteopotent around, which is creating fibromyalgia. 
So I want to ask you something, Sue, real quick, and then I want you to get in your questions since you kind of touched on it. So is there a link between oxalis and autoimmune diseases? Definitely. <laughs> okay. Oxalate is a perpetual trigger of the innate immune system. It is an irritant. It is causing damage to uh, membranes, which causes cells to leak. And like, for example, one of the leakage products, products one of the things that leaks out of cells Many things do, all kinds of stuff, little organelles, all kinds of materials that should be inside the cell leak out. And, and what the immune system does is it's kind of like sentries walking around, checking to see if everything's okay, like a security guard walking around, are the doors locked, are the lights right, and who's doing what, and just observing what's going on. And when those security guards notice potassium or other leakage products coming out of your heart muscle or your muscles or your bones or whatever, because there's oxalate around in your joint, it turns on the innate immune system. The immune system, oh, problem over here. Let's go in and rescue these poor cells that are leaking these damage products. This thing, these are, this is an alert, these damage products. That's because the oxalate crystal causes membrane damage enough where you get this leakage. So it's constantly stimulating the innate immune system and eventually teaching over time those damaged immune cells that are coming along after you ate your spinach smoothie to fix the problem in your elbow because of your spinach smoothie is coming along damaged enough and this there's a lot of confusion that builds up over time and you start to get this sort of attacking the tissues and it and the immune system just does that anyway the immune response is to bring in these cells and bring in these phagocytes that eat the crystals that form and form these giant cells. And they, they then start bombing the tissues with proteins like collagenase that breaks down connective tissue. That's a way of like killing bacteria. I mean, the immune cells are acting as if they're eating and destroying bacteria. You know, they're using the wrong firepower. And maybe, maybe the wrong response is partially because of the damage that's already caused to them before they even got there. So they just haven't studied this enough. The whole understanding of the inflammasome, that's what this innate immune system turning on of it is, that's a fairly new understanding in immunology. So there's a, there's a lot more to learn. Awesome. So what have you got? So all of this is making me very nervous hearing about <laughs> all these foods that I've been eating for years and years. I just had a bunch of green peppers and, and onions and, uh, and red peppers with my bison and rice prior to coming on here. And um, you know, every night I make myself this salad with more peppers and onions with um, you know, lettuce that has like a red, you know, red like um, lettuce on it or whatever, like the special lettuce that you know, I've researched and you know, it's, it's high in oxalates. So it's giving me some anxiety. And, I, and I'm wondering here, do you believe that there are some individuals out there who will take this information and who are more prone to things like orthorexia and end up developing some sort of disordered relationship with food? Because now we're, talk, we're, not, even, we're not even just talking about avoiding you know, junk food now. We're talking about like avoiding vegetables. So vegetables are like the healthiest thing that you could ever eat, right? So, so what's your advice to... What's your, what are your thoughts on that? And what's your advice to anybody who might be, you know, prone to that and developing anxiety, thinking about their vegetables now? Well, you know, you have a right to feelings and you really should acknowledge your feelings and then, then stop and have some, a moment of rationality and reason if you're capable of that. But, you know, 
the first question with anybody is, are you mentally well? Are, are you a person who's in some kind of PTSD or other form of emotional trauma where you're not mentally making good decisions and you are staying in emotional state and you're not in a position to be a rational actor in your life and you need help and support? That's a very different question. Um, you know, we people on the media like to throw around the word orthorexia as an insult for people who are being particular about how they take care of their bodies without any regard for what level of rationality is going into that and what goals are going into that versus someone who's just managing their anxiety and being a freak, you know, because there's something um, that they're struggling with, including and a lot of what we think of as mental illness is physical illness of the of the central nervous system. It's, it's not because you're a psych case. It's because there's something off with your biochemistry. You're malnourished in some way. You're inflamed in some way. There's something going on that deserves loving attention and, and care and concern and research and effort to improve that. So there's a lot of those issues. But you know, what's really interesting is the story. Let me share a story with a gal. We'll call her Helen. I, I'm writing, I put her in my book, actually, because she's a friend of mine. And when I was first doing this, she found me at this sort of health food store we have in town and we sat down together in the cafe because we hadn't seen each other for a while and she is like freaking out. She has an eating disorder and her OA sponsor is like freaking out with her about she's got to eat her vegetables and she's saying, uh, all the vegetables give me a stomach ache. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to be good. And she's had this weight problem. She's had al alcoholism. She's had an eating disorder her whole life. She's in her early 70s. She's had this problem her whole life. And I have worked with people with eating disorders as a really doing free counseling for people over the years. I'm tremendously sensitive to the issue for many reasons. And so I gave her a list on a napkin. She kept saying, what should I, what should, what should I not eat? What should I not eat? I said, no, 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 no. You're not getting a list of what not to eat. You're getting a list of what you can eat. And I gave her a little list, said, here, eat more olive oil, more butter. And these are 10 vegetables that are low in oxalate. Go try this. She calls me in a month. She says, I'm not an addict anymore. I don't have any cravings for alcohol. I don't have cravings for food anymore. My back is better. And, and within a month of that, she's now doing stairs. She hasn't been able to walk upstairs in 13 years. I'm like, Helen, you can, you can, you can use the stairs now? And she's like, well, who cares about that? I'm not an addict anymore. I'm like, it is amazing. Like, so here we, we can see the neurotoxicity in just this case but i can tell you hundreds of other stories how neurotoxic the immune system or the oxalate damage can be of course it is causing damage to mitochondria nerves need energy to function cells need energy to function they don't start function well so if your brain isn't functioning well maybe it's something making you toxic and maybe it could even be your healthy spinach smoothie so you got a follow-up question? Yeah. Um, have you ever successfully convinced anybody who is vegan or vegetarian and consuming high amounts of oxalates due to religion to change their beliefs? I never thought I would influence anybody who chooses vegetarian for any re reason because vegetarianism is often done like a religion in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Regardless of whether you have a pastor or somebody telling you you're supposed to 
not eat certain things. I mean, there's another kind of orthorexia for you in a way, right? So it, it is a fitting follow-up because it's another form of disordered eating. I've, I've had people, I first started teaching this at another local health food store, just free talks, explaining this to people. And one woman, she just was so mad with what I was saying. She had been struggling with irritable bladder. It was killing her life for the last many years. And her doctor hadn't mentioned the word oxalate. So she decided to come to this talk. But after she heard what I was saying, she was really angry. She got online and said, silly sis, figs are toxic. She was so mad about it because she had made being a vegetarian, I think she was a vegan, her whole identity. That's how she was special in the world in her own mind is that her choice of being a vegan made her special and better than other people. And she had to like work through that. And I, I was so impressed how well she did work through that. And I later on re in her esteem as a superhero because now we fixed her problems and it helped her move on in her life and helped her marriage and her, her husband and kids never wanted to be vegan. <laughs> so, I mean, People will, when their pain is high enough, when they're willing to acknowledge their life isn't so hunky-dory, then true information can land there. But we have to first, just like in AA, you have to first admit something's wrong in order to be willing to be open to changing things that you've bought into so heavily that, you I mean, they really do become guideposts for how you're living your life. That's how you, your version of integrity, your version of moral correctness can be tied up with your food. That's a hundred percent. Cause I've tried to talk to someone before about, you know, they went to vegetarian swore that they, they actually were talking about how they felt worse. And I'm like, did you ever think that there's a reason for that? And these would not accept what I was trying to say. So that is a great story and a great way to produce, uh, say that. So thank you. I do have a question though. You said something about oxalate poisoning. Well, then earlier you said something about how oxalates affect mineral absorption how in a like a broader spectrum is it the mineral lack of mineral absorption that causes the oxalate poisoning well that is one of the issues see that it has many different ways of being a problem so for one thing foods that have a lot of oxalate in them they'll measure as having a lot of calcium or a lot of potassium or something because it's in the food it's calcium oxalate or potassium oxalate or something like that so sometimes you're eating a food thinking you're getting calcium or potassium like potatoes. They look like they have potassium, but they're high in oxalate. It's not a good source of potassium. So there's that, like the food you're eating is actually pretty malnourishing. And, and then the plants themselves have so many other chemicals and fiber and so on that interfere with absorption of minerals anyway. So vegetables are really tough nut when it comes to actual bioavailability. And we've kind of canceled that, that research in a way. There isn't enough people looking at bioavailability because we've gotten into this phytonutrient phase where plants are so fabulous. So why look at the dark side of them since they're so great. Um, so yeah, one of the ways it causes the, the problems is that it is messing with mineral metabolism at all levels. So the kind that tends to get in your bloodstream are not those crystals, not like the big blocks that turn to soot. It's the little molecules, the soluble oxalate, they'll come in as potassium oxalate or an oxalate ion, and then in your blood or in your cells, they'll marry a calcium molecule. And they'll start tying up calcium inside the endoplasmic reticulum or inside your mitochondria and start potentially accumulating inside subcellular organelles or just start lowering your blood levels of magnesium and calcium, which low magnesium causes you to lose more potassium 
and the inflammational stress causes you to lose potassium. So it's causing electro downstream electrolyte imbalances and losses. So what you have to do to make up for the calcium that's being taken out of your blood is your parathyroid glands turn on and they tell the bones to dissolve out some bone and release some calcium so that you can keep your blood levels even in calcium. Because if they're not even, then your heart can't pump properly. The, the pacemaker requires the little calcium sparks. The right amount of calcium ions actually runs almost everything in almost every cell relies on little calcium ions being in the right place at the right time in cells. It's, that's, you know this about muscle contraction and actin fibers, you bring calcium into the cytosol or the, 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 uh, the sar sarcoplasm in muscles, right? And that, that allows the cell to contract. And then you have to use ATP energy to pull that calcium back out of those muscle fibers to allow the fiber to relax. And, but if you're low ATP, cause you've been messing with your oxalates and you've got, um, too much of the of calcium oxalate in your sarcoplasm. You know, there's just all kinds of places where it starts messing with how cells regulate basic function. Wow, like it's not cool to mess with with calcium. Um, I actually have a follow up, and then Sue, I would like for you to take a question or two. Mm -hmm. Why do plants contain oxalates? This is interesting. I, you know, the whole botany literature, they're trying to figure it out. They're not as well funded as kidney researchers. So it's taking a lot longer for them to figure this out. And, you know, we haven't got a nature completely figured out. So there, there's a lot of theories of at least five or six roles. One of the newer ones that I have, it took me a while to kind of understand this one. This is one of the more complicated reasons is that plants may be using the oxalate molecule to store carbon in the daytime, in a, a droughty day, you wouldn't leave your little lungs open. The, the leaves have these stomas on the bottom that let air in. So you, plants use carbon dioxide like we use oxygen. They need carbon dioxide to make glucose and to do their thing. So the sun helps them turn carbon dioxide into energy. But if it's too hot and dry out of the air, it's like dry. You're going to just dry up. You don't want to do that. So you've got this oxalate is two carbons there, the two carbons for molecules. So apparently the plants can actually survive during the day and do, do their cell energy production, breaking down some of the oxalate. So that's an interesting one. But one of the major things it does is just calcium management. The plants, too much calcium is toxic for plants. So they turn it into uh, calcium oxalate. They also deliberately make crystals of certain shapes for self-defense. There's at least like five, six, seven, eight different shapes of crystals that plants make. They put out tiny bits of protein that creates a, um, it's called a matrix, but the word I want is like a, a scaffolding, you might say. So these amino acids that are attractive to calcium create a scaffolding, scaffolding that then attracts the calcium oxalate and then the calcium oxalate lines up in its crystalline little ways and the plant can influence how it all lines up by laying out this groundwork for it that is in the middle of the crystal and on the outside of the crystal and it creates these toothpicks that are double-ended arrows that are deliberately designed to puncture the cells of predators that try to eat those plant materials. There's also crystals that will go in the outside of seeds, just like the crystals in the tree bark, but in the, around the side of the seeds 
that too prevents the, the seed from getting broken down and helps with dormancy. The cells use the calcium that oxalate to um, hold on to calcium as a pantry because the seed will need calcium when it germinates to, again, calcium is a spark that helps make stuff happen. And so it helps the cells germinate and make amino acids as they grow into a little seedling. So it's, it's like so many, it's clever. It's a multi-purpose tool. It's the best multi-purpose tool nature invented. It's working great for plants. It's really important to their physiology and it's really toxic for us. Sue. A question. So in the grand scheme of things, like the more I'm listening to how, you know, oxalates like affect you know, us on a mitochondrial level, all these things that, you know, can, can trigger other, you know, processes or stop other processes from happening efficiently within the body. How important is it and how vigilant should we be in terms of avoiding things like potatoes or, or certain nuts and spinach? Like, are, are you saying that like we should just cut those foods out completely or is it okay to have a cheat meal, so to speak, you know, every now and then? Is that okay? Like what, how, how vigilant should someone be to avoid oxalates? Well, I'm not one to should on anybody. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm here to um, invite you into my years of literature research in the medical library, like as sharing what I'm learning in case anybody cares, because my real goal is to find people who truly do want health, who are looking to optimize their health. If, if you want, if your goal is to find the fountain of youth, the low oxalate diet is the best one I've ever seen in all my 50 years of being a nutrition nut. Um, so it just depends on your goal, but you cannot be vigilant. You cannot be vigilant if you don't really learn and study and try and stay focused. And you can't be vigilant if you're like, eh, well, whatever, I'll just won't eat spinach anymore. That's good enough for me. No, no, that's not how this works. So, and fundamentally, if you want a life that works, you don't make food the center of your universe. So you just figure out what foods really are low and safe once and for all. You spend your time, invest in time learning that, and then just make it your practice to, to like redefine what things really are edible and what things really aren't. And just stay consistent with that because then you don't have to like negotiate anything with your head or remember that, hey, wait a minute, I'm now eating French fries every day. You don't have to there's not so much to correct. You just, oh, okay. Human beings slightly exaggerated when they said these high oxalate foods were truly edible. They're not at the rate we're eating them every day, day in, day out, day out. And there's so many of them. You know, if you have a handful of favorites, which can include chocolate, potato chips, terra chips, sweet potatoes, nuts, seeds, and beans, you know, they're all over the place. Turmeric, there, there's enough of them there that if you don't really learn the list and, and start favoring low oxalate foods and making them your chief go-to foods, then, you know, you're not going to really do it. And that's fine. Most people but aren't worried about arthritis and back pain and getting old too soon until you, it happens. Turmeric is on that list. The whole root, but not the extract. Okay. So the curcumin is still fine for anti-inflammatory purposes. Yeah, if you believe in that. I, I'm skeptical about that. The research that I've read says that it's a very blunt acting thing, and it just like throwing off birdshot everywhere, and it um, causes as much mayhem as good, and it's, it's not a controllable weaponry, really, to get the results you want, so it's not really effective. All right. I have to dig into that because that's like the holy grail in the bodybuilding world. Yeah, I was just going to say, but yeah. the bodybuilding world swears by curcumin. <laughs> yeah, because everyone, the reason everyone's taking one for inflammation and two, the proliferation of cancer cells and the research yeah. that Dante put out. Yeah. So. Well, you know, 
if lower oxalate is a lot less cancer in the body, that's for sure. Okay. And, and, you know, that's the problem is that if we want to just be so casual about food and think we can throw in a solution on top of a problem, that, that's how we keep getting into these issues. Like now we're doing all this keto bread because all this low fat dieting made so many people fat and diabetic. This is like an international worldwide epidemic of blood sugar regulation problems and the inflammation related to that. So now we're throwing a keto bread solution to that, which I predict is just going to make sick people sicker. I agree. And I think the problem I wrote about it last week, I put a post about keto is it, it just encourages the instant results that everyone like wants to see. And the moment that that stops, they can't handle it and they break on the diet. And it's just this awful cycle for the most part. Um, it's a tool and it's not a lifestyle. So I'm glad you said that too, because I've been saying it. Um, so well, you got see, the oxalate story is not a sexy story. So leave it to a little old lady like me to have the least cool topic in the world, because it just requires a certain amount of boring compliance if you just do it all the time and it works its own magic and it heals you on yourself by yourself. And even though many of us have miraculous, it's miraculous that I'm talking to you. I was so disabled when I first figured this out. I had spent three years on the couch, not able to exercise or think or read the mail or do anything. And I had been a grant writer designing research grants and bringing in millions of dollars of NIH funding and, you know, had serious brain work in my field, in the field of public health and nutrition. And I was a nothing. And now I'm back enough to be able to write a book and speak to you. So you brought up that part about the research. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. What was that job like? Oh, well, I was a research administrator at our local university in Richmond in a new department. We were founding a new school of public health, we thought at the time. And so I worked with my fellow faculty and helping them write up their research reports and getting them to fit in within all the rules and regs and make a beautiful application in help edit the actual text and design budgets and then deal with the electronic systems that you have to use to submit it and all the approvals and running around and getting signatures and doing IRB approvals and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's a intense kind of deadline -y thing. And I love designing research and thinking about how to learn. Speaking of the learning, I got to ask this soon, then you can ask your question. It's totally off topic, but um, how did you become so well-versed in this in the sense of any recall tips? Because I'm a big like learner. I just love learning. And the way you just flow through everything and are able just to grab and go, I just, I can watch to see how you're doing it. Any recall tips? Because, you know, to write what you wrote, the grants and all that, you have to have this great recall ability. So uh, any uh, knowledge hacks that you have for me or the listeners? Oh, you know, I, I wish I had them because one of the things that Oxlate does is it kind of trashes your memory. And I've always had a terrible memory my whole life. My first husband used to get so mad when I wouldn't remember stuff we had done together. He took great offense at that. <laughs> if I could control what I can remember. Not, like, so I, I've always had to rely on logic. I am like so severely logic. I've had people get mad at me because I'm too logical. Like, how could you be too logical? Like, logic, logic is science. Logic is a human advancement. And <laughs> this is how we progress as we become rational beings, become thinkers. Um, 
So for me, I have to derive everything. And I've, I've just spent endless amounts of time studying and restudying and rereading. I mean, I, I, I have to print out my articles and circle and interact and, and write summaries. One thing I did learn, I, this is the thing I did learn is kind of a, is I used to be so good at like multiple choice because my recognition is good. My general understanding is good, but sometimes specific recall, not so much. But what I learned in, in my graduate school program where I got my public health degree from a great teacher who taught my environmental policy class, because I didn't, I got caught off guard on the first test. These are essay tests. You have to sit down and write. And all his questions were about the readings. And so what I learned I needed to do to learn something that I'm reading is I needed to write out or type out my own summary of what that article was about, who wrote it, why they, why they wrote it, when they wrote it, what institution were they in, and what was their reasons, what was their conclusions, what did, what did they believe as a result of the study that they're, and so you have to really interact with things and start putting it inside your own world view in your head, because the way the head works or the brain works is by association. And so you can build on knowledge you have if you can interact with it. Now, the problem with oxalate, I, I think of oxalates or a new information like a hanger that has your new shirt on it. So you put your shirt on the hanger and then you put it in the closet and you file it in the shirt department in your closet, right? Or maybe in the blue shirt department or the dark shirt department, right? There's a place to file that shirt on the hanger. In oxalates, there's no place to file it. Like you, you keep trying to stick it in your brain and there's no rod. There's nothing to put it on. And you're just like, this is what drives people crazy with oxalate and they don't want to deal with it and learn it because you can't derive it from all the things we already believe. Like so much of what we believe in health and nutrition is so counter to the actual facts of the case and how oxalate works and what it's doing to us. It's hard to remember any of this stuff. And that's why it's so wise for people to keep listening, keep learning, keep coming back because you have to keep coming back. It's kind of like you have to go back to church every week because it's not because you're really learning new stuff. It's because you just need to be reminded of what you know or what you need to know, what you should be focusing on to really live the life you want to live and to be the person you want to be. Well spoken. Thank you. So question. And, you know, she, she went over a lot of stuff that I had planned on asking. Um, can I ask a random question? Am I allowed to do that? Whatever. We're just hanging out. <laughs> All right. In oxalate school. <laughs> if you were to, um, you know, this is a question that I ask a lot of my potential clients on their intake questionnaire when they want to become a client with me. And I say, you know, give me your top five foods for proteins, carbs, and fats. Okay. So if you were to give me a, a top five for fats and protein sources that are low in oxalates, what would be like your top five go-to foods that are safe to eat on a daily basis in the nutritious and well-balanced diet? Grass-fed meat, grass-fed steaks and beef and just the fat itself. I actually- well, I love all of that. <laughs> uh, good. Uh, we get uh, raw whole cream here and we sometimes make our own butter from raw cream. Okay. Um, that's a nice butyric acid, kind of short, medium chain fatty acid. Yeah. We buy our pigs from local farmers and get like a half pig or a whole pig at a time and eat a lot of pork. So I personally, I have found that eating pork fat is 
feels good for me personally. I digest it well. It makes me look better. One time I roasted the head of the, well, I've done it like five times actually, but I think it was the first time I ever roasted the head of the pig, which is jowl meat. So it's bacon and skin oh. and a whole face with whiskers and hair oh, and eyeballs. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> I'm a foodie. I'm a food adventurer. I'm willing yeah. to face my food in the face. And okay. if, if I'm going to kill an animal, I'm going to eat the whole animal. Why would I throw that out? Mm. It's yeah. the best part anyway. Who doesn't want the skin of pig? It's delicious. So <laughs> I roasted this head like a Thanksgiving turkey and I had split it with friends who were supposed to come over, but they didn't because of a snowstorm or something. And so it was a smaller group. And this thing lasted like a whole week. And I found myself sort of just living on this fat and skin and gel bacon for a week. And then the week later in my hot Bikram yoga class where you're wearing like a bikini, somebody says to me, Sally, you are looking so good. What have you been doing? <laughs> now, does a wise person tell a fellow yogi that I've been eating pig face for a week and that's why I'm looking hot? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not in that yoga class. Nope. <laughs> nah. I've been vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm really big on animal fats and animal yeah. fats. Um, I've been, the other thing I didn't tell you guys about is I've been learning about deuterium and I met uh, Q Collins, who's a big uh, scientific advocate for deuterium depletion. And he's, he is saying that the hydrogens in animal fats are low in deuterium. And so it's a very safe, uh, animal fats are a great way to not have a deuterium heavy diet too as well. So that's the new new to me advantage of these animal fats. So generally I'm not a big fan of seed oils and all those kinds of fats and I would minimize them as much as possible. Um, so, I mean, I've developed a pretty simple diet. I, I used to be such a huge vegetable person growing them, ordering the seeds, growing them from seedlings and, you know, love my sweet potatoes and had to have three side dishes and a salad and, you know, constantly making soups full of vegetables and all that. And I've just gotten so away from that. Um, I, I don't know if I have five foods. <laughs> I just have a few. All right. That's fine. Um, That'll help. Yeah, so, co oh, coconut's another one, though. Coconut is the, the fruit of choice for me. I get along with coconut really right. well um, and right. use coconut milk and use crushed coconuts and drink coconut water. Um, and that works for a lot of people, but mm. it works for me. I mean, it's not like a main dish, but it's a, okay. Yeah. So no, so no, um, nut butter is no. You wouldn't do like raw almond butter or, or or natural peanut butter, nothing like that, right? So the nuts are really quite a story. They're all high in oxalate. Peanut butter and and almonds and cashews are probably the most bioavailable oxalate. They're also full of lectins and phytates and all kinds of things that ruin your digestion. And they even have cyanogenic compounds, so they're they're quite toxic. And so you, if you're gonna touch them at all, which I don't recommend because of the gut damage, you would certainly want to use sprouted almonds. But the thing is, these nuts, especially peanuts, are also prone to mold and can be full of aflatoxins and other kinds of nasties as well. So they're not. I mean, I consider them squirrel food. I think the squirrels should have them. You should let the squirrels have them. Okay. All right. Um, you said something earlier about the parathyroid, but does oxalates have any effects on thyroid health? Yeah, that's the one thing that's super well established in science is that um, almost everyone has oxalate crystals in their thyroid, especially if you're over 50. It's almost guaranteed that you're, 
you're collecting oxalate crystals in your thyroid gland. That had happened to me before I knew about oxalate. I had two hard lumps in my neck here that I didn't even notice, but my primary care doctor noticed it, which is pretty good these days because mostly they don't do physical exams, but he noticed it and he sent me for scans. And uh, I did, I had other doctors saying I had Hashimoto's, I had, you know, different opinions on that, but I had to be on thyroid meds. And since a low oxalate, I certainly don't have thumpy thyroid anymore. And I'm on a third of the original dose I had to be on before. So there's definitely some room for improvement, but your thyroid gland is super important for happiness. <laughs> you really don't want to be collecting, but something like 85% of us, if you're, if you're over 50, like I'm 56 and a half almost full of it. You want to expand on that a little bit about the thyroid? Um, well, it's not it like you want to go and I can feel like you like cut yourself off from going too deep, but by all means do, cause I've only got one more. I got like two, three little small questions, but yeah. Would, so, you know, oxalate is sticky to tissues that are inflamed or if a cell just died, it doesn't have any defense and the, the oxalate molecules and crystals can stick to the, to fragments, protein fragments, the fatty acids and membranes, and they can get caught up in tissues that are either inflamed, healing, injured, the healing, the new cells that the cell, the body will try to make new cells and replace if it has enough ATP to do it and enough proteins available to, to duplicate cells and have new cells produced. The new cells have a lot of these glycoproteins on them, that stickiness on them, which is sticky to oxalate. So anywhere where you've got injury, inflammation, whatever, oxalates tend to stick there. So in the thyroid gland, once you get a sort of cycle of damage, you're much more, it's going to start suddenly. Once you get that notice started of inflammation, because once I got crystals, the chances of inflammation where the immune system periodically will try to deal with the crystals and you add inflammation, you're more likely to add more crystals. So once things get going, they can have a sort of self-perpetuating cycle. I have a feeling that can happen with the thyroid gland. But certainly when it comes to you know, physical fitness, sports activity, being active, anything that you're wearing out in a workout or a hike or you know, a spin with a basketball, could potentially become a spot that oxalate collects. Or a place, if you type all day, you can get carpal tunnel from oxalate because at nighttime, you're supposed to do this healing and recovery. But if it's coming from your diet, the highest amount of oxalate in your blood will be at, at bedtime. So the oxalate running around in your blood is going to interfere with the normal repair and recovery that happens in sleep. And that's how you start ending up with these chronic conditions, you know, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel, you name it, bad back, because oxalates are getting in the way of your basic maintenance. Um, final question I have, and I have like two ones that aren't related to anything uh, of importance, but I do know that oxalates can cause leaky gut. So what are oxalates effects on gut health? Because that's something we're, we're real big into, us three coaches, about healing the gut because with proper gut, you have better thyroid, better hormones, just a better overall quality of life. Now that I've heard this, I'm just kind of like, I'm looking at what's in my fridge and feeling like I just need to be like eating, well, probably not a whole pig, but I'll find something that's exciting out there. Maybe I'll buy a cow with Sue or we'll do it together. But um what is the hey, effect? You'll have of to meet in DC or something, I guess. <laughs> I'll make him fly to me. I'm not going up north. I got my freedoms down here. Uh, <laughs> um, what is the effects of oxalates on gut health? Yeah, I really wish there, that people would study this. You know, almost all of the research that's funded research from NIH and so on 
is about kidney health and really not looking at how, what is it like to be eating crystals all the time? I mean, think about the rapide crystals, which are those toothpick shaped double pointed barbs that are intended to injure you. Uh, kiwi is a great example of a food that's very high in those barbs. That is literally damaging mucosal membranes. We, we know from the um, archaeology research, they actually look for these little crystals as evidence of what plants people ate and can see a microabrasion in the teeth that the, those crystals actually wear out the teeth of the whatever population was overdoing on their sweet potatoes or their whatever foods had these crystals in there. So we know that if it can abrade your teeth, it's probably not so great for your gastric lining or your intestinal lining, which is just this important tissue that is the interaction of your nervous system, your immune system, your whole nutrient delivery system. And once you have inflammation in the gut, what happens is you absorb a lot more oxalate. So anything that's inflaming your gut, which many plant protein, plant chemicals will do, um, and you know, toxins or whatever, any inflammation is going to increase the amount of oxalate that can get into these cells. And then the other problem is these synergies that a lot of the plant, a lot of the foods that are high in oxalate or eaten with other foods that are high in things like saponins, which actually is a soap that breaks down the membrane integrity and allows things toxins to enter more. Same with lectins. The, um, the saponins are just like open up the, the tissues so you can get a lot more lectins in, which are quite gut damaging and a lot more oxalates in. And these oxalate crystals, aren't you're not absorbing them. You're, they're just helping to cause inflammation, which, you know, that is, this is the, the thin little invisible sheet that keeps the outer world and the inner world separate is those cells of the, of the gut. Thank you for that. Now, with that being said, my final will follow up on that point. What are your thoughts on pea protein? Because that's become all the rage. Well, it's peas are sort of low in oxalate. So from an oxalate standpoint, that's not so bad. Um, I, I know there's a lot of concern about contaminants and heavy metals with uh -huh. these. In, others have said that they think these highly processed protein powders could be even carcinogenic. I don't have research to support that, but I think these isolated proteins, if you, if you need to stay vegan for whatever reason, you've got to have some protein. It is important to get protein. So if you want a little extra lead and whatever, and if it's okay with you, because some people really are more concerned. They think they're doing the planet a favor. They think they're doing some virtue a favor and they're doing a trade-off. Well, I'll eat a little lead so that I can be a moral person. That's a personal, you know, cost benefit negotiation to have with yourself. Personally, I think we're supposed to eat real food. I think real food is smarter. I think it's cheaper and more moral to not become sick and, and to be as well as you can be, you're not in a good position to help others and to, to not become a burden on other people if you're trading in your health for something else. But, you know, pea protein might be the one way you could survive a vegan diet and go low oxalate. It's pretty hard to stay vegan on low oxalate. It can be done. I have people who've done it, but I do think you need that pea protein, but you will be probably making a bit of a compromise there. Outside of that pea protein recommendation, do you have any advice to vegetarians or vegans? Well, I don't know about advice, but I do feel a kinship with everybody who's doing that diet style 
I did that. I was vegetarian for eight years and then I was vegan for eight years. So I have 16 years of it and preached it heavily. I was part of vegetarian club and uh, I feel like I have blood on my hands, so I don't want anyone else to feel guilt for being veggie or vegetarian. And I, I feel like that generally they're a very noble bunch who cares about many very good things. And I just wish that we cared enough about ourselves to pick our own health as an important priority that we can love ourselves enough to rethink it, to, to think, keep thinking about it, keep Keep learning. Sue, you got any questions or you want me to ask my final one? I think you can ask your final one. I mean, I think a lot of it's a lot of the stuff that I had in my mind is covered. And I think it's just, you know, it's going to be up to the people who are listening. if They want to actually learn and, um, you know, take that dive and change their lifestyle and change their diets. Um, just like, I guess, any sort of knowledge that we put out there. Right. Can I just respond to that? Because the vegetables you talked about you eating are mostly not high in oxalate. I think the ones that you said you were eating, well, you said you looked up the kind of greens. Like in the greens department, if you want greens, get lettuce. Don't get the lettuce mixes that have the little baby beet greens and the little baby Swiss chards and so on. Like just get some romaine lettuce and have your salad. You know, you can have Uh your cauliflower, bell peppers, but because of lectins, I think you'd be better off getting roasted red peppers that are peeled and don't have any seeds. Yeah. Or the microgreens, the microgreens, whole food sells those. Those are very high. They, yeah. 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 Well, my final question is what I do with every guest we bring on, because when we bring you on our platform and in essence becomes your platform, is there anything that you would like to touch on that we did not one or two final things that you would like to impart on the listeners to take away from your story, what we talked about, anything you want to tie in? Well, you know, a lot, I came to this topic reluctantly. I was dragged into it by a tremendous amount of suffering and I sacrificed an awful lot in my life to, to learn this lesson. And honestly, if I can, if I can, I always believed in vicarious learning, like better let the other guy jump off the cliff and see what happens before I do it and see if, you know, (laughs) look over the edge before you leap. And, And I'm just offering that chance. So, so, you know, give it a chance, start learning about this and imagine that you really deserve that attention. And anybody, honest to gosh, if you care enough about your life and your health to pick what food to eat, keep learning, keep, follow me into the library and check this out because it's going to be cool. We're going to all get old together and feel good when we're 90 instead of feel like garbage. That's awesome. Now you talked about your upcoming book, have you written anything yet to date? And then if not, what is this book? Obviously it's going to be about Oxalis, but when's your publication date? So people can like get ready for that. Cause I'll be on the pre-order. Well, my first date is my manuscript due date, which is later this year, uh, December 1st. And so we'll get to that point. And I don't remember the specific date in my contract. If they really, I don't sure they really promised yet. So we'll, we don't, you don't really get a publication date till after we've reviewed the manuscript and then figured out the permission. You know, there's a lot of stages that still yet to go. So, but I'm guessing that it'll be about this time next year. We'll be saying, Oh, the book's going to be out any minute. <laughs> That's awesome. I look forward to it. In fact, I was just sitting here thinking we're planning our, we bring a bunch of coaches, a couple of us coaches all present. We're bringing new coaches on, but we're doing one, um, 
in Denver, like I said, in October, but we're going to do one in Nashville in my city at my gym. And I would love to reach out to you um, in the back channels about you coming and presenting on like a really in-depth topic because that's what we do for like 50 minutes is we just break down something that we're masters at and share it with other coaches. But I think there's, this is a huge thing. And when I heard it, it completely changed my whole perspective on, on issues I've had with clients and been like, Oh man, maybe rather than doing that, I should have been like, what foods are you really eating? You know, I'm breaking it down that way. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And hopefully you will come and present. Maybe we can get the opportunity to make that happen and, and have your own little platform to talk about that. Cause this is an absolutely awesome topic. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I mean, some really big things are going to be happening. And, and those of us who are totally turning our health around are just so geeked on fire to share this and to spread the news. And like, it's just like we've discovered heaven over here and there's room for everybody. <laughs> That's what I love to hear. Um, where can everyone give you a follow? At? Yeah, so check me out on Instagram. It's SK Norton. At, on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook. I don't tend to linger on Facebook much myself, but you can see. Not a good idea to linger on Facebook. Huh? Not a good idea to linger on no, Facebook. No, no. In fact, it takes a kind of a, you know, it's like sticking your nose in something stinky to make me do Facebook. So I'm not there a lot. So if you really want to comment on stuff, comment on Instagram. Plus I've got lots of opportunities on my website. Check out lots of free information. You can write to me there at help at sallyknorton.com. And you can join my um, inexpensive group classes, about at least three a month of, uh, keep them small so people can send me their questions. I study their questions ahead of time and usually do a presentation that's built around the, the key questions. And we have a chance to interact in a small group of about 25 of us. Um, so those are, those are some of the ways. Do you do um, any consulting for coaches who might be listening? Cause we have quite a few coaches who follow or for clients. And when yeah, I've your mostly website. been doing client consulting and I really limited my new clients cause I spend a huge amount of time puzzling out each person's situation and giving them gobs of personalized guidance. And so I'm mostly sticking with existing clients. I have a waiting list though. And people who join me on my classes are prioritized on my waiting list for new appointments. But unfortunately, the biggest client I have right now is my book. <laughs> so that's keeping my uh, capacity limited at the moment. But my goal, once I get the manuscript done, is to really start exploding into teaching the coaches, teaching the teachers, teaching the, all of us in the healthcare realm to, to you know, duplicate the teaching. I do have materials for people who have physical locations. I have a printed beginner's guide. You can get the PDF on my website, but you can also order them all printed out and pretty. I have these little bookmarks. People can, if they, you know, if they have a, you know, a gym or a store or something and they want to share, here's the low oxide list. I have a little bookmark. You can get a, some of those and share them with people. This is a little starter stuff. That's Easy. cool. Well, I, like I said, we have a bunch of coaches who follow and I was like, I wondered if she did consulting work with them, but maybe down the road, I would look forward to, I would love to take one of your classes. So I'll be probably pestering you in the meantime. I won't cool. bug you on Sundays because that's your 10 hour riding day. I'll make sure it's like Tuesday <laughs> after the massage when you're in a good after mood. Eventually <laughs> like, I'll have a life where every Friday at four, I'm at the massage parlor getting a nice Thai massage and 
stuff like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Sally, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I know Jason was kind of bummed that he couldn't make it, but uh, this is the only time they had where they could uh, neuter him. So he was all on board. And, um, but Sue, you got anything parting you'd like to say to Miss Sally? No, I think it's just been a lot of information that a lot of people will have to kind of chew on, including myself. So, yeah, no, I mean, my mind's blown. It's a topic, like I said, that they are, you know, we're real big into the student heart, something that we, we really preach. We do ourselves, you know, I got called the librarian of the fitness industry the other day because I read so many books. So I was like, Hey, librarian of the fitness industry, what's a good read next? And I was like, Oh, that's how I'm referred to now. All right, well, I'll take it. But this is a topic that there's nothing out there. Um, yeah on it and I, i'm looking so forward to your book coming out and everything else so uh, yeah i'm looking forward to the book as well because this is like an added layer of like nutritional and dietary considerations that we'd all need to sort of look at if we really want to optimize our health and bodies so you know i i'm definitely going to re-listen to this podcast you know many times because oftentimes being on the podcast and listening to it are two different things, things. Oh. so um <laughs> Yeah, I really appreciate it. Totally true. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because I'll go back and listen back. Man, Jeff, you sounded really smart there. <laughs> you know? like, like, where'd that come from? Not Blah, bad. Something. You know, like, not bad, buddy. Like, the drugs were in your favor that day, you know? Like, <laughs> like so, but uh, Sally, seriously. Well, you know, as you guys suggest this material or try it out in your own lives or try it out with clients, we might want to swing back around and have another conversation like, okay, post 101, now what's this assimilate, assimilation process like for you guys in terms of, all right, so how do we really understand this topic and how do we work through, the biggest obstacle to this is just emotionally like, wow, this is a stretch. This is a mental stretch, it's an emotional stretch. But like I said, it's, it's a great place to be. It's with, with great levers, you can turn around people's health, their physical performance, their future options it's really cool well i can tell you just from watching you engaged about this subject today with us that this is something you're extremely passionate about and that you really <laughs> believe in and you know that's good when when the when the message lines up with the guest of what the platform is so this has been great no really it's well been- i wouldn't be out here in this world of telling people what to eat that's the last thing i ever wanted to do <laughs> you, you know both. that's why i was writing research grants and doing policy and worked in integrated medicine because hanging out in academia is a very safe place to be you can have your opinions but you don't have to go on public record and be wrong and i'm not a big joiner i'm not a big oh i'm i'm a keto this i'm a this or i'm a that no i'm a i'm a rational thinker and i'm trying to figure out what works and Unfortunately, I had to use my own body to learn this lesson, and I am not letting that go to waste. Absolutely. That's some some good wisdom to take apart for those who might be having issues they need to dig more into that maybe that smoothie is not so healthy like you were talking about. The spinach smoothie. I'll never look at spinach the same. (laughs) Put it on my plate when I go out to you. I'm like, get that shit off my plate. I don't want those oxalates. They're like, what are you talking about? Be like, bye, get out. Dismissed. So... (laughs) But thank you. I will reach out and have you come back on in December, January here in a little bit once you're kind of done with your manuscript and go on a deeper dive. I mean, you could frame out how we want it to go. So I'll be totally down for that. That'd be fun. Awesome. Super. Well, Sally, take care and have yourself a great day. Same to you, both right. of you. Great Bye. to meet you all. Bye. Bye.